comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. You have heard it said to many of you in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable at judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you are liable to the hell of fire. You are offering your gift to the altar. If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may have you over to the judge, and the judge will be on your guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you paid to the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman has already created adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than fix your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go to hell. It is as I said to you, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that those in ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your whole word be yes in yes, or no, meaning no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. These are the words of the, the, the book of God. Thanks be to God. So right about now, some of you are sitting there saying, we've seen chickens and we've seen fish. And then they read that passage of scripture. Thank you, Rich. That was a lot. That was a lot, right? And you're like, I'm not sure that I'm here for this. Because it was weird in the beginning, and now it's getting weirder and stronger and heavier feeling, isn't it? This morning, as we dive into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to remind you of what's happening in Matthew's Gospel at this point. Jesus has found a level place on the side of a mountain, and there he calls his disciples from the crowds that are following after him. And he begins to speak to them, teaching them saying to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers and the persecuted. Jesus is inviting his disciples to follow him a little more closely. More than that, Jesus is inviting the crowd to take a step into relationship with him, to become disciples of him. And the Beatitudes serve as an invitation that does away with all of the things that we think would disqualify us from following after Jesus. Whatever it is that we think 
may keep us from following after him, Jesus pushes past that and invites us in. Then Jesus says to the crowd, you are the salt of the earth. You, not just a few of you, but all of you. You who are mourning, you who are meek, you who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You are the salt of the earth. Friends, we are the salt of the earth. And tell you what, you start preaching that sermon, it'll make you want to run through a wall, right? Like, like the first part of the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount is, is inspiration, uh, excuse me, it's invitation, it's invitation. Jesus invites us into relationship. The second part of the Sermon on the Mount is inspiration. Jesus saying, remember who you are and what you are. Be people who bring about change, who lighten dark places, who transform the places that you come and go from. Jesus invites us, then he inspires us, and then Jesus raises the stakes. Jesus raises the stakes for those who would come and follow after him. Because the verses you didn't hear read this morning are verses 17 to 20, where there's a clear shift in Jesus' teaching. Jesus begins to challenge his disciples. He begins to challenge the crowd. He says these words. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the stroke of a pen. Sometimes I go into the King James. Not a jot or tittle will be lost, right? From the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called last in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus says these words. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you know anything about the scribes and Pharisees or the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know that they were experts in rule-keeping. They were experts in the law. In fact, they were so accomplished at law-keeping that they invented laws to protect themselves from breaking laws. And not only live by the 600-plus rules of the Torah, they also had added other laws to protect them. So if, if uh, touching the candle uh, is, is against the law, they would say, you know, it's better than uh, not touching the candle is making sure that you're always at least three feet away from the candle. What would be better than that is if we didn't even have candles in the room. So no candles that will keep us from ever happening to touch a candle. They make rules on top of the rules to keep themselves from breaking the law. And they became so accomplished at their rulemaking and rule-keeping that they looked to rule-keeping and rule-making as a point of pride. Their righteousness was based on how well, how well they kept the laws of the Old Testament and the laws and rules they made for themselves. They were proud. And they looked down on people who didn't measure up. They looked down on those who couldn't do it the way that they did it. 
But Jesus says that unless our righteousness surpasses theirs, that we won't get in to the kingdom of heaven. What do you do with that? I mean, doesn't that make you just want to throw up your hands and say, then who can make it, Jesus? If our righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, if that's the standard, then I'll never make it. If that's the standard, then I am out of luck. If that's the standard, there is no hope for me. And if you stopped reading the gospel there at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, you would be right. There would be no hope. But what Jesus does in the next verses, though they sound hard, and you're going to hear them again, is call us to a higher righteousness. A righteousness that is not based on rule keeping and rule following, but on our hearts and lives being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. Our hearts and lives being reconciled to God and to one another. Take a look again with me at Matthew 5, 21 to 37. Jesus teaching the crowd says, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar there, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying it's not enough for you simply to check off the different boxes when it comes to faithfulness. That faithfulness is ultimately not rule-keeping, but is about heart and life transformation. If I am coming to make a sacrifice for God and I'm bringing that sacrifice forward and I suddenly feel that I have in a broken relationship with a friend or a family member, then Jesus would say that the sacrifice is no good if we're not reconciled to those whom we have hurt and those who have hurt us. So leave your gift. Because faithfulness is not just checking off a box. I did the thing. It's living in the spirit of the law. First go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. Get the relationship right. So that the sacrifice can be made right. Then Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. We should be quick to reconcile. We should be quick to offer forgiveness and grace to those who have wronged us. We should be quick to desire to restore broken and hurtful relationships. We should be quick to bring healing to the broken relationships that we have in our lives. Because the consequences are not just legal the way Jesus talks about here, but they are spiritual and eternal in us. Our lack of reconciliation in our hearts to God and to our neighbor 
deforms us and breaks us. And the consequences are real. Jesus goes on and says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. Jesus is saying we should not allow ourselves to treat others as if they are things and not people. As if they are objects and not beloved children of God. That the way that we relate to them should not objectify them or demean them. Or in any way keep them from being the person that God has uniquely created them to be. And if we find ourselves struggling with sin in a way that causes us to stumble, that we should be quick to eliminate that sin from our life, not only by our own working, but by the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us to bring about true repentance and new life. Then Jesus goes on. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In Jesus' time, it was simple to get a divorce. A husband would simply write a letter and walk away from his wife, leaving her destitute, leaving her with no social standing, leaving her with no way to move forward in her life. Jesus says we cannot relate to those whom we love in that kind of way. We must be committed to one another. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say simply is yes or no. Anything beyond comes from the evil one. I'm sorry if you thought it would get easier. It didn't, did it? Jesus' words up the ante. They require more of us than we simply follow what the law says or what the law requires. Jesus' words here ask us for more. More than what would seem possible. The kind of righteousness that Jesus describes above isn't a righteousness that comes from rule following. It's a righteousness that comes from having a heart that is redeemed and restored. It's a righteousness that comes from our lives being reconciled to Jesus Christ. That kind of righteousness doesn't come from the law. It comes from the heart. You see, the law would allow you to harbor anger to look down on others and to call them fools, to be estranged from your neighbors and from your loved ones, to treat people as objects, to satisfy your cravings. It can make marriages disposable and our words seem like they don't matter. The law would allow all of that. Friends, we don't simply want to live under the law. We want to live by grace. For grace brings what the law can't. And that is salvation and hope. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is always about what the law would allow. 
that kind of righteousness, excuse me, the kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about here is righteousness that comes from a heart fully surrendered to God, a heart that is continually submitted to Christ so that Jesus has lordship over every part of our lives, so that our anger doesn't get the best of us, causing us to hate and despise others. Friends, as Christians, we aren't called to hate. I hope you know that. We're called to love. Jesus says we'll be known by our love. But all too often, Christians are characterized by their hate. Jesus must have lordship over our attitudes in order that we might build others up instead of tearing them down. I don't know if you've been on the internet. That's all I'll say about that. Our relationships, Jesus must be Lord of our relationships so that we can be reconciled and restored to our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and our foes when we've been wronged or when they wrong us. We've got to do more. Jesus must be Lord over our hearts so that we remain faithful to God and to our spouse so that we don't look for the easy way out of our marriages and relationships when times get tough, but instead look for the good of the other. Jesus must be Lord over our tongue so that every word that is spoken is spoken truthfully and honestly. And it's tough, friends. It's hard. It's the hardest thing we will ever do because what Jesus is asking us to do is to allow him to undo all of the ways that we've lived up to this point in our lives. I don't want to cheapen or weaken Jesus' words here in Matthew 5. So what I want you to understand is that the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, it's developed over time. It's developed moment after moment, day after day, week after week, year after year, continually submitting ourselves to Jesus' lordship over our lives. It's not enough, friends, to come down the aisle once and kneel here at the offer and offer our lives to Jesus. That certainly will save you from an eternity in hell. But Jesus wants for you to be more than saved. He wants you to be made whole. And that comes by us continually submitting ourselves, our lives, to Jesus Christ. It's not enough to commit our lives to Christ once. We must choose daily to submit ourselves fully to Jesus, whose desire is that he would be our Lord. It's living beneath the lordship of Christ that allows us to change the world around us, to be the change that we want to see in the world, to be the change that God wants to see in the world. When our anger and attitudes, relationships, marriages, our words are all submitted to Jesus, when we allow him to transform our hearts and our minds, then we become the agents of grace, healing, and transformation that the world desperately needs. But don't miss this, because I think Jesus would want you to know that outward righteousness must always begin with inward transformation. It's got to begin here and flow from a heart change until our whole lives are transformed. The Pharisees would do it a different way. They would focus on being outwardly righteous. Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs, beautiful to look at, but full of bones 
and death on the inside. Higher righteousness is not about how you look. Higher righteousness is about how Jesus is transforming you inwardly so that the world is transformed through his presence in you. So today, I invite you to take some time to look at your life. Are you allowing Jesus to have greater and greater authority over your life? Are you allowing Jesus to change your actions and your attitudes, your words and your works, so that your righteousness might exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Are you allowing Jesus to not only be your Savior, but to be the Lord of your life so that you can become the person that God uniquely created you to be? That, friends, is the goal and the end of faith. Becoming the people that God created us to be so that we can be a part of building the kingdom that God desires to bring on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, forgive us for the times when we've made faithfulness and righteousness about checking off the boxes. Forgive us for the times that we have boiled our faith down till it's nearly nothing. Instead, God, we invite you today to move in our hearts and move in our lives that we, God, might be reconciled to you, that our hearts might be reconciled to one another, and that this world might be transformed by the power of your grace moving in us and through us. Lord Jesus, we offer ourselves to you today for the first time, for the 500th time, God, praying that you would not only save us, that you would show us the way of sanctification, that you would show us the way of perfect love, that you would show us the way of higher righteousness that honors you and honors those around us. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. Amen.